0: Welcome to the Israel Conversation by the Massah Leadership and Impact Center. We are informally debating issues that concern Zionists about life, culture, and politics in Israel.
1: Hi, welcome to our podcast. Today I'll be your host. My name is Leo, and I'm here sitting with Mike and Kalev. How are you guys doing? Good. How are you, Leo? Doing well.
0: Okay, pretty good.
1: Great. So we are going to discuss today— a very popular topic, I'll say. Specifically, whether the term apartheid is useful when we're talking about the West Bank. That's our overall topic of the day. But in order to understand this correctly, I think we have to first understand why apartheid is used in the Israel conversation against Israel to begin with. Um, So, Mike, do you want to start us off?
0: Well, sure. I I, I think... uh... I think our choice to debate, I think, one one of the things we agreed on when we were setting out to do this podcast was we will have legitimate debates within the Zionist world. We agreed that calling Israel an apartheid state isn't a legitimate good faith argument, and so we won't debate it. We will, But we do think we need to explain it before we get to the West Bank question. Um, so let me just say this. Let me just give a little historical background, and then I'll give the sort of what the argument is. I, I understand the, argu- the the historical development as follows, that after Arafat walked away from the Camp David Peace Talks and rejected a Palestinian state, in the same year, in the, within weeks, there's a second intifada, in the same year that uh, 9-11 happened, uh, Palestinians were not super-duper successful in their PR mission, that people were starting to, even then, lose patience. And and, and they developed this, this BDS movement, the Boycott Divest Sanction Movement, which switched the conversation to this, apartheid accusation in order to reclaim the high ground for Palestinians and to vilify and demonize Israel. Historically, in South Africa, the white minority, who obviously weren't indigenous to South Africa, they were colonialists from Northern Europe, created a legal system whereby if you were white, you had certain rights. If you were black, you didn't. If you were white, you could have certain careers, certain opportunities. If you were black, you couldn't. You could live in certain areas. If you were black, you couldn't. Entirely different legal structures, entirely different sets of rights and privilege, privileges for white citizens and black citizens, including the right to vote. Apartheid it was the in the, the language Afrikan that meant uh, apart separate. And so it was legally enforced separation based on ethnicity. And the argument of boycott, divest, and sanction went well, that's what you have here as well. You have a a, a, a a colonialist people who came from Europe. In 1947, 48, they were a minority. And they have created a legal system where the Jews, the colonialists, are taken over. And the Arabs are at best second-class citizens. They're impressed. They're ghettoized. They live in concentration camps, open prisons, all, all the language that they use. which uh, and, and And the reason they do this is... Because what the international community decided was that because of the great injustices going on in South Africa, what the world had to do was treat South Africa under apartheid as a pariah nation state. Cut it off diplomatically, culturally, economically. Boycott, divest, and sanction of South Africa. And so what this movement argued was, oh, well, if it worked in South Africa, we should apply that to Israel and to get that to work You have to get the international community to agree that what's going on in Israel is the same as what's going on in, what happened in South Africa. What broke apartheid South Africa will break Israel. And in so breaking Israel, we will dismantle the Jewish identity of the state and eliminate Israel from existing through international pressure. That's the political rhetorical goal of accusing Israel of apartheid. Now, this is obviously uh, so stupid and so false and such bad faith in argument that it's failed in, in, in almost all responsible international leadership so that Israel has not been in any meaningful way boycott, divested, or sanctioned, whether by individuals, which is boycott, divested by institutions, and sanctioned by governments. Israel is incredibly well integrated economically, politically, militarily, culturally. You know, you, you can put out Claims that don't see a Gal Gadot movie, but they still make money. So we 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 look at the glasses half empty of look how they've got made this the conversation, and I, and I, and I do fear that we fall when we keep debating whether Israel's apartheid or not. I feel we fall into their trap that is is just reinforcing the word in people's heads. I don't think it's worthwhile debating in in a country where Arabs are twenty percent of Israeli citizens are Arabs with full pol, you know political civil rights. Integrated into every aspect of Israeli society, uh, the legislature, the judiciary, entertainment, business, uh, where there is, there are mixed cities where everybody lives together, there are Arab parties in the Knesset. I mean, it's just so obviously, on its face, silly that uh, it 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 may rope in certain young people for a period of time, but then they grow out of it, and it's 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 obviously, I would argue, dumb to say that Israel's an apartheid state. And the fact that those people, extremists who have been s- roped in for whatever the intention, like Amnesty International or Human Rights Watch, to favor that kind of language is to their discredit. And I mean that quite literally. It means that you can't really listen to them on all sorts of a host of issues. And certainly Israelis have stopped listening to them. Uh, am, I, am I explaining why we're not debating whether Israel's an apartheid state accurately? Or is there... I think, do you have what to add, Kalev, to that? I mean, I've always got what to add, but yeah. I think you are You're doing it pretty pretty, pretty well. Pretty good job, Mike. I think
2: one of the things that, that Amnesty and, and Human Rights Watch do is they, they firstly, there's this idea that, that Jewish self-determination, like a national home for the Jewish people, nation-states, which, you know, I guess in, in, in Amer- America is not a nation-state, but, but most countries in the world, certainly in, in Europe and, and, and in Asia are, Kind of nation states, only lots of Islamic states. This idea that a Jewish, a Jewish state is racist, I think, is one of the one, one of the claims. Which, uh, in some ways, the standards given to it's
0: denying Jewish nationality. Yes, uh, but, but th- it's th- treating it only as a religion.
2: Uh, I guess so, but it's it's also putting up this state as as in some ways so unique that it's ignoring all other.
0: Nation states. The well, Swedes are definitely a nation. The Swiss are a nation. The Italians are a nation. The Germans are a nation. It's just the Jews who aren't a nation because they're a religion. That, by the way, if they say I'm against all nation states, so okay, so then you're not anti Zionist. You're just you're just a utopian anarchist, I guess. But right.
2: So one one of the stretches that, that these organizations did recently was to to begin to claim that. Jewish national self determination, Israel, without even any actions, not not even policy, the existence of Israel, yeah, yeah. I- I- is racist in and of itself. They also give this kind of long. Whereas Switzerland isn't, right? Well, yeah, they don't mention it, but, but yeah, but that's the implication, exactly. And then they give this, this kind of history, and the, the history is quite a potted history. And what do you wh- mean by potted? Well, there, there's there's this wonderful phrase given by one of my colleagues, Alan Johnson. He, he talks about. Decontextualizing mm-hmm. in order to demonize. Mm-hmm. So there's a war in 1948, and 700 Palestinians get expelled from their homes. Let's say, but there's there's no context of there's a partition plan that's accepted by the Jews, rejected by Which the Arabs. Have, there's a, you know there, there's this genocide genocidal attempt to destroy the nascent state that ends in defeat, etc. There's there's never any in this history. There's never any mention of subsequent partition plans Mm. under Clinton or Bush or or, or any of these things. And as you kind of mentioned, the framing is not this kind of tragic conflict between two peoples, both of whom have deep roots in the land. And see themselves as indigenous. Exactly. It's between these white European settlers who came to the land and expelled the people of color Indigenous population, and that, that is kind of the framing. So there's this complete absence of, of any sort of context. And I think the other thing that that's interesting is that the framing has evolved. So we've moved from the Arab-Israeli conflict, which pits kind of a, a small Israel against this much larger sea of Arab countries, many of whom don't want Israel there. We've moved from the Arab-Israeli conflict to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, okay, that's now now we're more powerful, to occupation, to apartheid. Mm-hmm. So the, the complexity and the, I guess, tragic nature, if you like, and the Israel's legitimate actions of self-defence have been minimised towards this idea of Israel as a powerful uh, and the Palestinians as, as a victim, and there's very clear goodies and very clear baddies and that's all you need to know, mm-hmm. in some
0: senses. it's actually quite simple. it's apartheid. we've seen it, we know what to do with it well that that I mean that, that's the other thing that I, I just add that sometimes if I'm on,
2: on a panel with with Palestinians or if I'm in the audience and, and I, I hear Palestinians, often they'll say, you know you, you can compare this to four you can know, compare the conflict to four things. It's like Russia and Ukraine. It's like apartheid South Africa. it's like race in America. And or it's like the French in Algeria. What what does that mean? It means it's either about military occupation, mm-hmm. or it's about apartheid, or it's about racism, or it's about colonialism. Mm-hmm. And I think the interesting things about that is, I don't even need to be such an expert in international affairs. It's very clear who the goodies and the baddies are in each of those mm-hmm. things. And it's kind of clear what you need to do, what the solution is. and uh, And the solution for apartheid is dismantlement you don't mm-hmm. negotiate with apartheid you don't compromise with apartheid you simply dismantle it having said all of that what we're going to focus on is the west bank stuff
0: because we agree that within the state of israel it is ridiculous to call israel an apartheid state if you want to say that the over 50 year ruling of the israeli army of the west bank creates an apartheid situation that's we're arguing if that's that, a helpful. This is, what we're
2: now, deba- this is now what Wigan debate. We're, we're moving
1: into But we're all in agreement the, that it,
0: there is no good faith debate over whether calling Israel, which again, 20% of its citizens are Arab and live with full civil and political rights.
1: We're moving into examining the the word apartheid when when it comes to the conversation around the West Bank and whether someone could or shouldn't use that description accurately or maybe inaccurately when it comes to the situation in the West Bank. Mm -hmm. Um, So leaving Israel aside, but just as we have a general sense of kind of what is apartheid, why it's kind of been used to talk about Israel, we understand that now. So when it comes to the West Bank.
2: So I'm going to make the argument that it is a fair or even potentially useful phrase to use about Israel's actions in the West Bank and the situation in the West Bank. And and the argument goes that we are now 56 years in to what Israel continues to argue is a temporary military occupation. But we're 56 years in. And the West Bank has been divided up into areas A, areas B, areas C. There's around two and a half million Palestinians living in the West Bank. They don't have statehood. I guess they do vote for the Palestinian Authority, but they don't have statehood. Well,
0: they would if they had elections.
2: And... Even if you even if you you don't want to make the claim that the entirety of the West Bank would be apartheid because Palestinians are represented in areas a in areas B, we've got a fifty six year ongoing occupation that's showing no sign of ending anytime soon. There are between three hundred to six hundred thousand Palestinians living in area C under Israeli control. and in area C, there are two different Legal systems. There's a legal system for Jews who live in Area C, and there's a different legal system to Palestinians, Palestinian Arabs who live in Area C. And then the question would be: It's obviously it's unjust, but it. What word would you use for two different legal systems? And I'll just add: Maybe this goes slightly beyond the realms of of the debate. When you look at the Israeli right wing, many of whom. Are in the Israeli government today, and when you try to hear from them, what are what are the plans Mm -hmm. for the West Bank? So some would say you annex Area C and you give everyone citizenship. That's someone like Naftali Bennett.
0: Mm -mm. I don't think he argues. Well, whatever. That's a different we, conversation. We we, we
2: we we can look it up. He
0: talks about arguing uh, annexing area C and giving everyone, but leaving areas A and B as yeah, more or it, less the Trump
2: annexing area C and giving yeah. every when I, when I say everyone, I mean everyone in area C. Yeah, okay. Annexing area C and giving everyone yeah, yeah, yeah. in That's, area C. citizenship.
0: Bennett plan is similar to the Trump plan.
2: But when in that you, area. But when you when you listen to some other people, someone like Smotrich, who would say, you know, encourage people to leave, or if they don't, then we will annex everything, and maybe we'll give some sort of route to citizenship if people are swear some sort of loyalty oath, but otherwise they'll kind of live with residency and not citizenship. We're getting into quite quite a dark place of different formalized legal systems. And then I guess the question would be, what should we call that? and And apartheid
0: is one of the words that comes to mind. Well, so l- l- let me start backwards. The fact that Israel, the, the West Bank could become apartheid is a terrible argument for saying that it is apartheid. The fact that there are people actually in the government who would like to make an apartheid policy is exactly why you should not use it now. In other words, what we're doing now as unfair and difficult as it is, may be the best we can do. But if you if you agree to policies of somebody like Smotrich, the danger is that we could actually, in reality, become apartheid. So I would say, keep your ammunition dry. Don't fire till you see the whites of their eyes. Don't use the word until uh, it, it's time to apply it. More broadly, I would say, first of all, I think it actually confuses more than it explains. In other words, because it's an analogy to the things that happen in South Africa... If you study the specifics of how a Bantu stands and things like that. So, of course, there's going to be a Venn diagram where you can, you can compare aspects of Arab Area C West Bank life. But A, there, there was no Palestinian authority. There was no black authority the, the, the ridiculous situation of areas A, B, and C isn't 56 years old. It started in the 90s as an interim to creating a Palestinian state, which the Palestinians rejected, which leaves them in this ridiculous situation where they have an authority, but not a state, which gives them... And, and, and the authority itself doesn't recognize their political rights. So calling it apartheid villainizes Israel without... Holding the Palestinian Authority accountable not only for not reject not only for rejecting statehood but for even in its own authority, rejecting the principles of equal rights, civil rights, political rights for Palestinians, even as simply as something like holding elections. and so it 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 diverts the players into it, 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 forgive me if if I say it makes it a, a very black and white binary and instead of what is actually a much more complex, Situation. I mean, Gaza. We're not even bringing up being ruled by a theocratic, terrorist-supporting regime. Palestinian Authority, at least officially, is not terrorist-supporting. Whether they're playing footsie or not is a a different question. But it 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 distracts from the lack of responsible leadership among Palestinians. To use this sort of oversimple framing when the West Bank is a lot more complex, I think most Israelis agree, I certainly agree, that the situation for the Arabs is unsustainable, morally problematic, that if Zionism has a mission of national self-rule, then how can Palestinians possibly do that under these conditions? Sorry, Palestinian Arabs in... The West Bank. In the West Bank. Yeah. West Bank Arabs have a real challenge here. And as as we are sharing space and lives and resources and all sorts of things with them, we're obviously connected to that problem and have a role possibly in ameliorating that problem. But I don't think the Israelis are, I honestly don't think Israelis are responsible for that problem. I definitely don't think Israelis can solve that problem. I think the Palestinians need to do a lot of internal work to create meaningful authority that can grow into actual governance and statehood. I don't think the Israelis can can fix that. So I would argue that calling it apartheid actually confuses more than it explains. It simplifies what is complex. It reduces to a binary what is actually multifaceted. Added to that, the fact that it is a, it is a thrown around keyword by people who deny Jewish national identity, who are in an open effort to destroy the state of Israel and use that word as a smear to unjustly attack Israel and make it a pro- international pariah. The word has become toxic, has lost all meaningful use, and has lost its explanatory value even before we start focusing on what's actually happening in the West Bank. And therefore, I, I-, I avoid it. I-, I would say to somebody, you want to use it within that limited context, go ahead. But I have to point out that as soon as you use it, you have to start explaining all the differences. So I, I really question that it has any value, and it has become so politically damaging that it's lost its explanatory value as a as a as a buzzword. Whether amnesty and whether certainly amnesty international UK think they're being anti-Semitic by denying Jewish national identity, connection to its homeland, uh, responsibility of Palestinians for the situation that they're in, whether that's intentional anti-Semitism or not, is irrelevant to me because you can think you're not an anti-Semite and still I, I don't care. And I think that the word apartheid is now smeared with that. And so even if it accurately explained the West Bank, I wouldn't use it. But I actually don't think it explains the West Bank well at all.
1: I have uh, two questions, two different questions for both of you. Um, So I'm going to start with Caleb, if that's okay. How does the apartheid claim change if we recognize areas A, B as the state of Palestine? So based on the perspective that you're posing here in this conversation, if we say now it's not the Palestinian Authority, but it's the Palestinian State, and that is who is responsible in areas A and B, how does a claim of apartheid change? Does it change?
2: I think it's an I think it's an interesting question, Liel. In some ways, I think the strongest part of the apartheid claim doesn't relate to areas A and B, because you could say that. Okay, I mean, you could say well, the Israeli the Israeli army is is basically in charge because it can go in anywhere whenever it wants, so the army is in charge and therefore everyone's under occupation, etc. You, you could say, but if, if we took that out and we said, no, you know what, Palestinians in Area A and Area B live under the Palestinian Authority, which in your scenario is now the Palestinian state, their citizens, etc. Mm-hmm. But I think th- the stronger part of the argument really relates to Area C. I just, just, I don't know how interesting this is, but I, for many, many years thought that there were around 100 to 150,000 Palestinians living in Area C. And just a couple of weeks ago, this is being uh, recorded in, in late July, there was a discussion in the Knesset with a representative of the army, I guess Kogat, you know, the people who coordinate, Israel, coordinate uh, government activities in the territories. And he was asked about building in areas. And he said there's around three hundred to 600,000 Palestinians who live there. And then they asked him what proportion of Palestinian requests for housing get approved. And I don't remember what he said. But it was very low. And then they said, what proportion of Jewish requests for housing get approved? And he kind of stumbled a little bit and he said more or less like 70-ish percent. um, I'm telling you this for two reasons. First, because 300,000 to 600,000 Palestinians living in an area that is controlled by Israel, but who do not have, they don't even have residency. They certainly don't have citizenship. They don't have residency either. They have nothing. Right. And that is a situation that, you know, Mike talked about, and he's right, areas A, B, and C, it's new. It's from Oslo. It was supposed to lead to statehood. It hasn't, I don't think anyone envisioned mm-hmm. that, we're now 30 years on. 30 years on, there would still be an interim situation. Mm-hmm. But this interim situation is now thirty years on. There are several hundred thousand Palestinians living in an area, Area C. It's controlled by Israel. They're not citizens. They're not residents. They haven't been annexed. Nothing is is on the horizon for that changing. So so I'd say actually areas A and areas B is is less of an issue, certainly if it becomes part of the Palestinian state. What about those few hundred thousand Palestinians who are living in a situation it's it's a dual legal system, their housing's not being approved, they can't build anywhere. Sometimes, if if you know Jews who live in the West Bank attack them, the army's not protecting them, what what should we be? We should be calling that out, and what should we be calling it? Because it is unjust and unequal. Mm-hmm. So I say that the problem is actually less A and B and primarily C. The question would be: if Israel were to annex that and give some sort of rights. Then that would take. I'd say that that would take away a large chunk of the claim. But mm-hmm. until that happens, they have kind of been living in this living in this twilight zone, and it's a huge problem.
0: Didn't you answer your own question? Shouldn't we call it unjust and problematic?
2: Well, I think it is unjust. Okay. And I think it is problematic. There you go. And I think you now you got a name. I think you could make an argument. Why would it, you? Why would you?
0: I asked you first.
2: Well, I mean, you would either to make a rhetorical point. That this is terrible and needs to be... In the United
0: States, States, there are citizens of the United States who can't vote for president because they live in Puerto Rico. So you have a two-tiered citizenship system. Therefore, Puerto Rico is essentially an apartheid state. In other words, it's a little bit like saying, oh, Bnei Akiva, NCSY, NIFTI, all these things are cults. Jessica like I can I can I can draw a Venn diagram where something is compar- comparable doesn't mean it's a helpful word because the difference in the Venn diagram the 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 size of the issue the complexity of why it is what it is there are words that that it, as long, if there's any Venn diagram overlap let's just use the word for the whole thing well there's the middle where there's the, but there's what about the differences and so I I just think calling it unjust and problematic and unsustainable I think is is probably more helpful and less confusing.
1: So Mike, my question to you, and Kalev, if you want to add on to this, you're welcome too. So Kalev was saying before that we started with the Arab, uh, Arab-Israeli conflict, right? And mm-hmm. this term evolved, right? Until we got to this claim of apartheid. Mm-hmm. So my question to you is, does the apartheid claim get evolved into something more extreme after Abu Mazen passes away, after he dies?
0: Uh, I That I don't know. I don't know uh, uh, because Abu Mazen, I don't think, came up with the apartheid claim. I, I don't know that he particularly uses the current Palestinian leadership. It's really this international argument with the West. Here...
1: Well, what I mean... Hold on, someone, maybe I need to s- specify. What I mean is that a lot of people believe that once Abu Mazen dies, yeah. there's going to be collapse within the Palestinian Authority.
0: Certainly chaos.
1: Yes, exactly. Which could light a fire or reignite, I should say, a fire, to this apartheid claim, and maybe even make it more severe, right? Evolving into something more, yeah. like maybe a harsher claim towards Israel. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, I guess what I'm saying is, I don't even believe Palestinians care about apartheid. You know, uh, in a different conversation, we were talking about how crazy it is that Israel's is a liberal democracy in the Middle East, because... Civil rights, political rights, don't exist in the Middle East. What the Palestinian Authority is doing when we complain that they don't give freedom of speech, freedom of uh, to to people in areas A and B, uh, they're actually pretty liberal for the Middle East, for an Arab, for Arab leadership. You can get away with a lot more here than you can in most Arab countries. You can't get away with being openly homosexual or speaking outwardly against the government and getting published. But a li- it, 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 they're they're not as strict on enforcement as some Arab societies, and so the framing of the debate as apartheid is not an internal Palestinian authority issue. They're talking about, I mean, Mahmoud Abbas said at the UN, the state of Israel is created by the United States and the United Kingdom because they're anti-Semitic and they wanted to dump their Jews somewhere. That's what he said this May 15th of this past year, just a few months ago. And therefore, the UN should abolish Israel from existing. They're having a, what 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 apartheid is, is a marketing campaign to get students on college campuses to hate Israel. It has a certain degree of success. It's a framing that certain academics have, have embraced, and so college campuses have become these hotbeds of anti-Zionism. But it's not making, uh, uh, as a marketing campaign, it's largely failing. I don't think the Palestinians care about that marketing claim.
1: But will the marketing claim become more severe once the the if there is an internal collapse within the Palestinian Authority after Abu Mazen dies? Will BDS Daya's blame Israel for the right, chaos in the right, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. That's Absolutely,
0: because because. When when somebody's making a bad faith argument for a position, they will muster everything to one side. They will never acknowledge the flaws in their own argument, the missing pieces that Kalev was describing earlier. And so, in the end, people of good faith uh, stop listening to them because the first time you meet somebody who shows you that they're leaving X, Y, and Z out, and you realize it's more complex, uh, they really do they really do fail. Their technique is. Guns blazing, maximum argument, blame Israel for everything. Okay, so they will. Will it be worse than apartheid? Well, they already also blame us for genocide and ethnic cleansing. That the existence, BDS claims that the establishment state of Israel was based on the principles of ethnic cleansing and genocide. So it's less popular because it's hard to explain why the Palestinians have this rapidly growing population for the last 75 years if Israel's been doing genocide. So they're they're more cautious about using. Maybe they'll use those terms more, Mm -hmm. and they'll lose. The more extreme they get, the fewer followers they'll hold. Because they're obviously lying. Even if they have convinced themselves that they're not. Outsiders eventually catch on to the fact that they're lying.
1: Right. Oh, well, great. Thank you both. Uh, I feel like we got a, a good grounds and foundation for understanding kind of what lies behind this term and then how it uh, practically is applied or not applied um, to the situation in the West Bank. Thank you, guys.
0: Thank you. Bye-bye.
1: You've been listening
2: to The Israel Conversation by the Massah Leadership and Impact Center. In everything we do, we hope to connect our fellows to Israel as home, that our Massah fellows will feel at home in Israel and understand more about Israel and all of its diversity. We connect our fellows to Jewish peoplehood, to feel an affinity for Judaism and a sense of belonging to the Jewish people. and The connection is active and meaningful in their lives. And finally, personal development, And in the case of this podcast, our goal is that you'll be able to use the tools and learning for reflection and future development in conversations about Israel and Judaism.
0: If this episode is
2: meaningful to you, please subscribe and share with somebody that you think it will be meaningful to.